The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Baseball is back, and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here with Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's NBA draft analyst and the co-author, along with Mike Schmitz, of our brand new NBA mock draft for the July 29th NBA draft, kind of the post-NCAA tournament version. And you'll see some movement near the top of the draft, uh, especially with a couple of players who really made an impact in the Final Four. But a lot to get to as we start to ramp up now for this NBA draft and what's been obviously a very odd year for scouting and, and for playing and, and and how all that's going to impact uh, this year's draft. But welcome in to Jonathan. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing great, Woj. How are you? Great, great. Let, let's start with your latest mock draft. You still have Cade Cunningham of Oklahoma State at one and Evan Mobley of USC at two. But I think a couple of the names in there who've really, you know, certainly – if people hadn't seen a lot of them during the college season, you, you saw what Jalen Suggs did for Gonzaga in the national semifinals, certainly against UCLA. But uh, Davion Mitchell of the national champion Baylor Bears, who was a guard earlier in the season, I think some people thought of maybe just as a role player, a backup guard, maybe a, a defensive specialist in the NBA. Jonathan, is is Davion Mitchell upped his stock as much as anybody uh, in in this entire process so far? Absolutely. Yeah. He was in our late first round probably a month ago and now he's um, seventh. Uh, so it just shows you, you know, the, 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 the tournament he had one and two, how unsettled this draft is in that six through 20 range. Uh, I think that, you know, Cade Cunningham has been number one on our board since October of 2019. That was our very first mock draft we put out on ESPN. So almost two years now. Evan Mobley was number two in October of 2019. Jalen Green was number three. At that point, he's fourth now. So the top five has been more or less settled, uh, especially since Jalen Suggs, you know, started off the college season the way he did. He was absolutely phenomenal in the month of November and December, really, he, you know, put himself in the top five and then he upped himself even further with a great NCAA tournament. But, you know, Dave, the, that six through 20 range, scouts just don't know. You know, there's a there's a lot to nitpick there with all of those guys, be it Keon Johnson, Jalen Johnson, Franz Wagner, Scotty Barnes, who, you know, we're not even sure if he's going to be in the draft 100 percent yet. Isaiah Jackson, Corey Kispert. And so that really opened the door for a guy like Davion Mitchell, you know, who's 22 years old, but has as good of a resume as you're going to find. I mean, 45% from the three-point line, um, you know, National Defensive Player of the Year, had a great year running the team, you know, had that unbelievable Final Four game against Houston with 11 assists and no turnovers, really just showed every facet of his game throughout the year, especially in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, at some point, you know, you, you want to say, I mean, you know, this guy is ready to go. I mean, it's not like, where are his flaws? I mean, he he's a freak athlete. He's probably, he's one of the quickest guys 
in the draft, and um, he's got an NBA body. Um, you know, he's not maybe as tall or as long as you want, but I mean, he guards everybody. So NBA teams want a guy that's going to come in and be ready to play. And, and that's Davion Mitchell. And so I think there's going to be, he's going to be a controversial guy because people are going to look at his free throw shooting. They're going to say, wait, he shot 65% from the free throw line. How good of a shooter is he actually? And they're going to look at his, his previous years, you know, I mean, he, you know, he averaged 10 points a game last year uh, at Baylor and, you know, he shot 32% for three and these are all valid concerns. And so it's going to be a very interesting draft process because how, how did people come to, you know, the evaluations that they did, you know, like you said, people weren't out on the road. I would say probably 75% in the NBA did not send their high level decision makers out um, for most of the season up until the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. So I think there's people that have a lot of work to do still in terms of going back through the draft and figuring out, you know, what their boards look like. They're going to want to get players into their facilities. They're going to want to study them in person if they can do workouts. Uh, you know, what is the combine going to look like? So it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting draft, and uh, we're lo- really looking forward to covering it. Jonathan, how wide open is number one and two? I mean. Is- no matter who is at one and two in your mind, does it go Cunningham or Mobley? Or do you think even Suggs will be in that discussion at number one based based on the draft order? I think there's going to be a conversation. It's not LeBron James's draft. It's not Anthony Davis's draft where every single person knows before the lottery balls, you know, go up that this is how it's going to happen. I think it's Cade Cunningham. Like I said, he's been on the top of my board since October of 2019. I feel strongly about that. I would take Cade Cunningham regardless of what my roster looked like. But there's going to be a conversation, and there should be a conversation. You know, I mean, this is how mistakes happen, is if we all just assume everything is supposed to go one way, and then it, it just all goes according to plan. So, um, and I think that that says more about Evan Mobley and Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green than it does about Cade Cunningham. But listen, there are some things that you can nitpick about Cade Cunningham too, you know? So it's, um, it's going to be a fluid conversation, but I would expect Cade Cunningham to be the number one pick in the draft if the draft were held tonight. Jonathan, you, you and Mike Schmitz have had pr- pretty consistently here in this, in your pre- mocks uh, leading up to the draft, uh, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga uh, back-to-back. Um, you've got them at four and five right now. Both were with that G League Ignite team, both skipped college basketball, went down in the bubble, uh, and had a, you know, were scouted very differently. And the, the feedback I got from GMs who went down and executives was that they love scouting those players in that G League environment uh, from watching them play on an NBA court, watching them play against older professional players and with older professional players, and that it was a great environment to project them to the next level. They felt in a lot of cases, especially this year in the pandemic, felt it was a better, they got a better barometer than they did watching guys in college basketball. If Green and Kaminga stay in that top five range, are drafted, you know, at the very top. Do you think 
that that G League model, uh, you know, is going to have some staying power for, for top players to continue to be that players seeing that it worked for these two is, is going to give the impetus for, for more guys to make that jump with some confidence. Yeah, I think the G League Ignite team is here to stay. I think they this could this whole experience could not have gone any better for the G League Ignite, the way that things went down in the bubble, making the playoffs, being competitive in almost every single game, and players really improving as the season moved on. Uh, you know, Isaiah Todd started the, the, the year undrafted on our board, and now he's solidly in the second round. Um, you know, Jalen Green and John DeCamiga, they were going to go top seven no matter what, but... I think that NBA teams have a lot more confidence now in drafting them just because they saw them against current and former NBA players. Uh, I mean, I counted 70 former draft picks scattered around the 17 rosters that are not the G League Ignite in the bubble. And that doesn't include Jarrett Jack, Amir Johnson, guys like that who are on the G League Ignite. And then there were, on top of that, there were another. 25 to 30 players on two-way contracts who were on assignments who were undrafted players. So in terms of level of competition, you can't compare that to college basketball. You know, I mean, guys who are even fringe players, a regular G League player is a first team all Big East guy. He's a player of the year in a mid-major conference. And now he's he's not you know, 21, 22 years old. He's 25, 26. These are grown men. These guys are fighting for their survival. And, you know, while some G League games, the, you know, the, the transition defense, um, you know, leaves something to be desired. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of defense played in some G League games. The Ignite guys got everybody's best shot on every single night because the opponents realized this is our chance. I mean, all 30 NBA teams are going to be scouting this game. Probably GMs and presidents are going to be – if they're not in the stands or they're not here inside the bubble like a lot of guys were, then they're going to be watching this film. And so for the for the, for for Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga to have done what they did, considering those circumstances, I think it shows you that this program is here to stay. And then you hear the feedback from the players and from the agents of the players talking about how positive their experience were, how much they loved working with Brian Shaw, how he was he, – he didn't care about wins. Or, I mean, obviously, wins or losses mattered because they, they won and that, that helps their draft stock. But he – everything for him was long-term. It's how do we get these guys to get um, – you know, to where they want to be, which is all-stars in the NBA. And so – I think that's really compelling, you know, for guys that are in high school right now. What's interesting is that they don't have any commitments right now. Um, a lot of guys are already committed. You know, I know that they're hoping to get Chet Holmgren, um, you know, the number one prospect mm -hmm. in, the, in, in the 2021 class. He's most likely headed to Gonzaga. Um, you know, Jaden Hardy, Michael Foster, those are the two guys you hear associated the most with the G League Ignite. I think they're going to get those guys. Uh, but what else? You know, I mean, the Ignite had five players committed this year. Uh, what's interesting is that they're really exploring the international market. Um, guys like Usman Jeng, who is a potential lottery pick from France, he's heavily on their radar. 
Um, and so they're really thinking outside the box here uh, and looking. Maybe there's some players that are going to reclassify um, from the, you know, that are juniors in high school right now. They're going to become seniors and just like Jonathan Kaminga did. And those guys maybe make the jump to Ignite. Maybe there are going to be some players that decommit, like the way that Dacia Nix was committed to UCLA, decommitted, went to the G League Ignite. Isaiah Todd committed to Michigan, decommitted, went to the G League Ignite. So they're looking at a lot of things. You know, uh, Ty Ty Washington, a kid from Arizona that I just watched at a high school tournament, the Geico Nationals this past weekend. Rod Strickland was there front and center in, in, in part because of Ty Ty Washington. You know, he's ranked number 34 in the class, which is a little bit outside what you would normally think the G League Ignite would look at. But in, in actuality, he's a top 10 recruit. He just... He, he started the year outside the top 100, and you know the scouting services are not going to move a kid like that from 102 to number eight. So he's a legitimate one-and-done prospect. He's a, a real top 20 pick, and he's very strongly in the mix uh, for, for the G League Ignite. So I think that this is definitely here to stay, but you know, there's a lot of question marks that are being asked at the same time by you know, parents, advisors, coaches, agents that are involved in this process are saying, we know what last year looked like. You guys had a bubble. It was it was a great setup. There were 16 games. We were part of the actual G League team, and we played a G League schedule. Next year is not going to be that way. They're going to play, you know, the original plan, which, as you remember, was for them to play exhibition games mm-hmm. against G League teams and then maybe do some barnstorming tours, head to the Philippines, to Australia, to Europe, play different national teams. Um, and so... These are the questions that, you know, parents are asking, who am I going to play with? What is my role going to be? And who are we going to play against? And unfortunately for Rod Strickland and Sharif Abdurrahim, they they can give a, an estimate, but they don't know exactly. And that's what these guys want to know before they fully make the plunge into playing for a G League Ignite next year. Jonathan, you mentioned uh, Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Nix, who originally was signed with UCLA. Um, they were pretty blindsided in the spring when he – uh, told them he was going to instead go to uh, the Ignite team, go to the G League. And, you know, the irony was it, during the season or even the beginning of the tournament, people said, well, if Knicks had gone to UCLA, they, they'd they probably be a, a Final Four team, but but they're not because he didn't go there. And as it turns out, obviously, they almost got to the national title game. But Mick Cronin, their coach, was critical of how the G League handled the recruitment of him, of prying him away from that UCLA commitment. What's been your sense of how those college coaches in general feel when they're targeting their players and just maybe more how aggressive the G League is in recruiting them and maybe pulling them toward, you know, that in some cases at the high end, it was $500,000 based on a bunch of factors uh, that they would pay you for the year. Some players were, were significantly less than that, just based on your star power. What's your sense of how the G League has handled this, how they're still doing it? You, you talk about Rod Strickland, who's part of the program with Sharif Abdurrahim, you know, being front and center with certainly top players this year, just like he was last year, in evaluating them, being at their events, and, and obviously talking with them and their families about um, not going to college, uh, to play college basketball anyway. There is a college component to this but going right to the G League. They're not apologizing and they're not going to change their strategy. And I don't think they should. Um, I mean, 
players have the right to have options. And if, if this is an option that's available to them, I think it's fair game, you know, to present something. And, you know, just like they, there's all kinds of players, places that these guys can play. And, you know, if Mick Cronin, if, if, if North Carolina called a week ago and said, hey, we want to offer you the head coaching job, he would have been the first guy on the plane to, 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 to sign and head to Chapel Hill. So I, I think the reason why they reacted the way they did was UCLA has a kid named Peyton Watson, who is a top 10 recruit, potential top five pick from Los Angeles. He's being recruited by the G League, too. And so I don't think he's going to go, is my understanding. But this is not going to end anytime soon. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that just this is just the reality that college coaches are going to have to live with. And, you know, in addition to the transfer portal and NIL and, you know, all of these different things that are just changing the complexion of college basketball completely. This pre-draft process, Jonathan, because every college player, even seniors, has the ability, this was a free year. You weren't using, you weren't burning a year of eligibility. So every player actually has to declare for the draft, even seniors, because you all, because you have the option of coming back. What has that done to the pre-draft process and even guys down on the lower end who in the past would say, hey, I want to test the waters and I'll go get a couple workouts with teams, but then I'll go back to my school for the year. Is, is it just a flooded, is the process just flooded with prospects for teams to evaluate? There's only so many guys they can work out. There's only so many guys who can be invited to the combine. Has it and and teams are trying to figure out who's staying in the draft, who's going back to school still. Has it created a level of of chaos even uh, with heading into the July draft? I don't think so because you know the the top seniors in college basketball. You know the Corey Kisperts and Chris Duarte and Austin Reeves and Luca Garza, Herb Jones. You know those guys. They're not going back to to school, you know, they're going to be in the draft. Um, and so, and, and the underclassmen, you know, guys testing the waters, you know, checking out the pre-draft process, trying to get an evaluation, trying to get feedback that happens every year. So I don't see that. I think if anything, the draft being pushed back a month helps in that regard because it'll, it gives NBA teams more time to figure out, you know, what the pool is, who is serious about staying or going, and, um, you know, for the most part, I think NBA teams, they know who the top 25, 30, 40 prospects are, and they're going to evaluate them very heavily. They've already done a lot of their work already. And for the most part, those guys don't go back to school. There's always exceptions, you know, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, um, you know, guys go back. But, um, you know, it could be Scotty Barnes this year. So we'll see. But um, for the most part, I think we know what that group is going to look like. Jonathan, what's the impact of just a year plus of stunted growth at different levels for young players, not being part of teams, not being able to be in the gym or the weight room, not being able to be around teammates or coaches, maybe playing limited games, uh, again, limited practice time. Are you curious to see what the residual effect of that is two, three years from now about how this year in the pandemic impacted 
basketball at all levels, but but at the highest level, like what kind of stuff are you hearing about what teams or or coaches are anticipating and and in what areas this group could feel look be a little different first of all i think you saw a lot of highly touted you know potential one and done candidates started the year you know in our top 20 and really took a slide as the year moved on and i'm talking about DJ Boston from Kentucky, um, Zaire Williams from Stanford, um, you know, Josh Christopher uh, at Arizona State. Um, you know, I think that not having the preseason, not having um, exhibition games, not having as many non-conference games, just not, you know, most of the time these guys get to college, a college campus in June and they have five months to work in their weight room and be in open gyms and, and practice, you know, with these really, really highly qualified coaches every day. And a lot of those guys miss that opportunity. And I think it, it really hurt a lot of players. Um, and I think that's why this is going to be a little bit of an older draft, uh, than last year's group. Um, now I think what will be interesting to study in a couple of years from now is the amount of rest that players got, you know, like not playing six AAU games in, in a weekend, you know, I mean, uh, eight AAU games in a weekend, all that wear and tear that, you know, we don't exactly know what that does to a young player's body, but a lot of guys avoided that, you know, and instead they were in the gym working individually with trainers, getting shots up, working on their ball handling, and so, you know, maybe fine-tuning their game in a way that they otherwise would not have if they were spending the entire spring and summer out on the road playing, you know, these high-level AAU games. I'm actually a proponent of AAU. I think that it's one of the best things that's happened to American basketball is the fact that we take all the best players from every city and we put them on a team and then we put all those teams together in one gym and we just let them duke it out for a weekend and say, who are the best guys? And because in the past, you know, 25, 30 years ago, guys would get a false impression of where they were at skill-wise because they didn't get a chance to test themselves against the best players in America. A lot of these guys, you know, they, they think they're the greatest thing ever. And then they go to an AAU tournament and they see right away, my stuff doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like I, if I can't shoot off the dribble when a guy goes underneath a ball screen, I'm dead in the water. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to playing against five, 10 guys the entire season in high school, uh, you know, without a single division one player on the court, that's not a great way for, for me to improve. And so that's why we're seeing so much movement now players going to, you know, these really high level prep schools. These are really basketball factories where again, they get to test themselves on a nightly basis and, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so, you know, a lot of that was lost, unfortunately, to the pandemic. And so, I think exposure-wise, that's going to hurt kids. And I think in three or four years from now, we're going to look up and we're going to say, there are three or four guys that are in Division Two or Division Three or NAIA that are potentially first-round picks, you know, and guys mm -hmm. that nobody heard about because they didn't get a chance to go to that AAU tournament. And there's so many stories of guys who – Nobody heard about them, you know, and then they go into a gym and they walk out and they have 25 high major offers the next day without having that opportunity. 
there's going to be a trickle-down effect because, as you know, Woj, all these college coaches, they're not interested in four-year players anymore. They're interested in transfers. They want to get old as much as possible. And so a, a lot of very good high school players are going to end up at a much lower level than we thought. Some of them will end up transferring up, and so it'll figure itself out. But we're going to be looking at a very different landscape um, in the evaluation market three to four years from now. I'm pretty sure about it. Yeah, you know, and and to think, listen, a couple of years ago, there was a thought by 2021 or 2022 that one and done would be gone and high school players would be back in the draft. That has not happened and it, and it more and more looks like they are punting this issue to the next collective bargaining agreement uh, a couple of years down the road. The union and the league, just we, we've been over this. They both agree that they would like to have one and done gone, but they can't agree on the rules in place once it happens in terms of physicals and um, combine a lot of a lot of ancillary issues. Um, but it would be coming out of the pandemic and the lack of access to players and that teams and organizations would have had places to see them. It would have made it even a more wide open draft. Um, I think if, if we had that younger class coming in, but you know, we, we go back to that ignite team and you, you talk to executives who were down there and, you know, GMs who were going to be drafting in that range. I mean, Sam Presti spent probably a couple of weeks down in the bubble, at least more than a week and really got to see Kaminga and green up close. And, you know, he's got his own G league team there so he can interact. You know, it was an ability to really evaluate a guy in a way you're not doing, even if you go to Kentucky or Carolina or Duke to watch a player. And so, um, yeah, this is going to be uh, an interesting few months. We've got again, the combine in, June, we think it's going to be in Chicago again. We're still waiting to hear how exactly it's going to look, how it's going to feel compared to past combines. And then obviously the draft uh, right after the NBA finals in July um, with free agency coming on the tail end of that. And then, you know, ideally by next season, next year, that you would be back to a more traditional schedule of, you know, draft at the end of June, free agency, July 1. Um, but um, one more year, it seems, of, of the calendar being off. Woj, what are you hearing in terms of, you know, the conversation around one and done being eliminated? Do you, do you see the G League Ignite program? Is that the compromise that this ends up being and keeping it one and done for the next few years? Because I don't hear a great appetite from my friends that are in the NBA, you know, GMs and presidents. They, they don't tell me I'm clamoring to get back no. to these high school gyms. They are not. They are not. And I think this was going to be a bridge. You know, the G League Ignite was sort of designed as a bridge between the end of one and done and, and where we are now. Um, because if you, you know, if you end – the one and done rule, you can come right out. You wouldn't need this. Those guys would just go into the NBA. And although many of them would spend a lot of their year in the G League, um, this is actually a better, con this is a much better setup than what they'll, what will be awaiting them when they're just in a normal G League grind. Um, this thing is not exactly the G League. You're not taking the 6 a.m. flight from Fort Wayne to, uh, you know, 
they'll go play the Memphis hustle. Like that's not designed for it to be that way. The agents wouldn't have allowed their players to do that in that circumstance. And so um, they have to sort of treat these guys special to recruit them and get them there. Uh, But there's no question that, you know, the NBA, what Adam Silver wanted was for, you know, the players to not have to go to Australia or go to Europe, go overseas if they weren't going to college, allow the teams to scout those players here domestically and then get them in with NBA sanctioned coaching and get them in their system. You mentioned, you know, Brian Shaw and, and that entire, uh, you know, the setup they have. Um, But I think it's going to be there longer than, you know, maybe we all anticipated because the one and done there just isn't, there's just, especially with a pandemic, it just went, I I mean, over a year ago, that was like, that was at the top of the list of the league's issues and discussions. And now it's really an afterthought because of all the financial issues the league is facing and uh, all the issues of just trying to shepherd the league through this time like everybody else is is trying to figure out whatever business they're in. And so, um, you know, but I, I do think, you know, we're going to see, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll see more players go in this in the Ignite program. It's not for everybody. There's some guys who'd rather play, you know, in front of 12, 15,000 people in a college arena uh, on ESPN and prime time. Like that's appealing to some, but like you said, there's options. And now players have options. They don't, you know, you can go to college basketball if that's what you want. And you can go to this Ignite program. You can get, start to get endorsement money if that's available to you, shoe money, uh, in addition to what they're going to pay you. And, um, you know, that's, and obviously, yes, you know, listen, our network and other places, they want to put those guys on TV and use the name brand of some of those players uh, and their talent to get people to watch that and to watch the G League in ways that they would have not watched it before. Yeah. And there's no question that college basketball is a great platform for most guys. And once this NIL rule, name, image, and likeness rule passes, it's already passed in seven states you know and for in some states this summer july 1 it's kicking in so there's real momentum here for players to be able to get paid and so i think you're going to see guys like a zion williamson or you know a jalen suggs or a Cade cunningham they're going to have really competitive offers um you know from these colleges whether it's under the table under the table how exactly they word it i don't know but I mean, everybody knows that, you know, there's going to be money available to these top guys. And so at least now they can do it in a way that's transparent. And so um, that's going to be that's just going to give even more options to to these players, which I think is great. Yeah. And I think what will come out of that marketplace, as you know, Jonathan, in a lot of cases, the under the table money doesn't always end up to the player. It ends up to people around him. And in this case, if we're like pay the guy, pay the player. It's his talent. It is. It's. And instead, sometimes in many cases, it's again, it's to others around that player who get that money and who sometimes without the player even knowing they're getting it. And so that's what I look forward to is the day where the actual player, the talent, uh, the individual who's earned that money and is earning it, it's delivered directly to him. Yeah, and it's going to make college basketball a better product because it's going to, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars 
for a senior, you know, like who is a, a star in his market, you know, who plays at a at a Creighton or an Oregon State or a Boise State, you know, that's going to go a long way. And kids are going to want to stay in school for that. And I think it's going to make college basketball better and it's going to make the NBA better on top of that. So it's really, it's about time, you know, it's way late, but I mean, thank goodness it's coming. I mean, they just got a waiting on the Supreme Court, which is weird because it's a totally unrelated thing they're talking about, but it's inevitable at this point, it feels like. Jonathan, always good to catch up. We'll be talking a lot more between now and uh, the draft in July, but if you, if you haven't seen it yet, check out the new 2021 mock draft on ESPN Plus. You can get it at Draft Express, Jonathan Twitter account, or obviously over at ESPN.com. Jonathan, we will catch up soon, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, ESPN's NBA draft analyst, Jonathan Gavoni. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to also listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe and The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.